If I were to ask you tonight for the name of someone or names of, of people that in your life have made a profound impact, they, they've truly had a significant influence, made a difference in your life, who, who would you begin to name? I started thinking through that question and asking myself, who, who would be some of those people that in my formative years were some of the most influential people in my life, ones that genuinely made a difference in my life? Immediately, four names came to mind. Of course, the first two, you know, as in your formative years, your young years, the first two would be my parents. Certainly, my parents and things that I learned and things that they taught me and things that I observed in their own life that I strive to pattern in mind today. And as I watched them, you know, some of the things I learned from my dad, I, I remember this as a child distinctly, learning and kind of watching how he could amazingly simultaneously nap in the recliner while watching golf on Sunday afternoon. And the moment I came in and picked up the remote and changed it, he knew. Without even opening his eyes, I was watching that, put it back. I also remember some things that he taught me regarding authority, respecting authority, how, how to address authority, how to approach authority. During my elementary and, and junior high years, I was homeschooled, and so every once in a while, dad would take me to work with him. I'd go spend the day, bring, bring maybe some homework with me, or maybe I had the day off, and I'd just go hang out with dad. Now, dad worked at the time at Fort Myer, right outside, the, right outside Washington, D.C. And, and every single time we drove, the 25-minute drive from, from home to Fort Myer, I could repeat the conversation that happened multiple times in that vehicle. Now, son, when we walk in here and you meet Colonel so-and-so, you meet General so-and-so, you meet this person, it's not, uh-huh, it's not, yeah, it's yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I can't tell you how many times he had me repeat it, how many times I had to say it in the car on that trip there, but the moment we stood in front of them, it had been so ingrained in my mind, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, that sometimes I said them all without even knowing what I was saying. But there's something else I remember learning distinctly from him, and that was the importance of, of reading your Bible. I can remember so many nights walking down the hall of our home and, and just seeing Dad sitting in his bed reading his Bible. He, he'd, he'd finish reading his Bible and I'd see him set it down to the side and, and he'd pick up his favorite commentary, Warren Wearsby's commentary, one of those. And he'd start reading through that over the passage that he had just read in his Bible study that day. And, that's just ingrained in my mind and made a significant influence in my life. I think about mom. I think mom, mom taught me how to have fun at work. Some of the most menial tasks that you never enjoyed doing as a kid, I, I still don't enjoy doing today, would be laundry and dishes. But I remember sometimes how mom made it fun. We'd be sitting there folding laundry and suddenly a pair of folded socks would fly across the room and hit me. Well, what 10-year-old boy isn't going to pick him up and throw him back? And then ensued an entire sock fight with socks all across the home. I rem I'll never forget the time we were washing dishes and mom decided it was a good time to have a water fight. She grabbed the hose, you know, the hose, the sprayer right there, turned around and just started spraying everyone in the kitchen. Yeah, we had fun. And we had a lot more work to do afterwards, but we had a lot of fun. 
I also, mom, remembering, remember teaching her, teaching me to have joy in serving the Lord, what it is to serve others, as we spent countless hours at church together serving. I also remember mom teaching me the importance of prayer. As I, as I, I remember coming down the stairs in the morning and, and seeing her knelt down at the couch, just praying, and I could hear her sometimes going before the Lord on behalf of her family, her kids, her husband. Those were, those were, those are things, those are memories that are ingrained in my mind that, that really made a difference in my life. Outside of my immediate family, there's two other people that immediately come to mind. The first, which was, was, was uh, Pastor Zaray, my youth pastor during my high school years. Pastor Zaray was someone who significantly invested in multiple ways, but some of the ways that stand out to me the most were, were once I surrendered to, to, to the ministry, to serve the Lord in full-time ministry, I remember him sitting down with me and teaching me, even at that time, how to write a sermon, how to begin to, to study a passage and, and formulate the, the basic outline and put it together. I still remember to this day the very first message I ever preached. And it's one that he helped me learn how to put together and study. I also remember the countless hours that, that we spent in his office with myself and one or two other men, one or two other teens in, in our youth group doing personal discipleship. Those were things that made a significant influence, a, a major difference in my life. And then there's one other person that, that comes to my mind. I think of him frequently. His name was Donnie Garneau. Donnie was the janitor or the maintenance technician at our church and Christian school growing up. He was one of those people that every time you saw him, there was a smile on his face. And I had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with him, a lot of work, a lot of work at church with him. Whether, whether we, were, we were setting up for an event or tearing down from an event or, or mopping the floors or changing a light bulb, he was always genuinely asking about you and how you were doing. And he was, when he asked, you could tell that he genuinely wanted to know. He's also someone that would say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you know that he would pray because he'd follow up and say, hey, how's this situation going on? I'll never forget this particular situation. I was a, I was a college uh, uh, freshman, just finished my freshman year at Pensacola Christian College. I had come home for the summer and I had an opportunity as a young, you know, just finished my first year of Bible college, thought I knew everything guy. And I'm sitting there in, 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 the, in the church lobby preparing to go with a few other men and had the opportunity to preach at our nursing home ministry that morning. And Donnie Garneau walked by and he said this, well, hey, Jason, welcome back. How you doing? Oh, I began to explain to him, hey, you know, great first year at college. I know everything now, you know, stuff like that. And he followed right up with this question that has never left my mind. He said, that's great but how are you and the Lord doing? What a thoughtful question. A question I've never forgotten. How are you and the Lord doing? Now what a, what a difference that question made in my life. What a difference that person made in my life. And 
You know, other than my parents, two of the most influential people in my life growing up were members of the local church I attended. Isn't it wonderful that God in his wisdom masterfully designed the church to function in just that way? He masterfully designed the church to be the place where you and I are edified. Where we have an opportunity to truly invest, make a difference in one another's lives. It's where we're built up, even as we build up others. And and, and as we are making a difference in the lives of our church family, so are they then making a difference in our lives. Tonight, as we look at Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at a message of simply entitled this, Making a Difference. Making a Difference. And as we walk through the passage, there's, there's one thought I want you to remember, one thought that we need to keep in mind, and it is this. The Christian life is not a life of isolation, but of investment in one another. It's not a life of isolation, but of investment in one another. So ask yourself this question this evening. Am I making a difference in the lives of my church family? Am I taking the opportunities to invest and edify one another in this local body of believers? When we begin looking in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1, we find seven ways in which the Apostle Paul made a difference in the church at Philippi. Now, now he's not listing out, do these seven things, but when we observe the Apostle Paul's life, and we see, excuse me, we see what he was doing, what he meant to the people at the church of Philippi. And we see his heart. We begin to see some ways in which you and I, you and I too, can be, can be making a difference in the lives of our church family. We'll look at seven. We'll, we'll keep them brief. But we're going to look at seven brief acts that Paul regularly participated in. Ways in which he viewed himself and ministered and made a difference in the lives of the believers at this church at Philippi. Number one, how did Paul make a difference in the lives of these believers by choosing to serve. He made a difference by choosing to serve. And each of these ways are ways that you and I can continue today to make a difference in the lives of one another. Look at verse number one. Apostle Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Now, in this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul's not emphasizing his apostolic authority. If you look in Colossians, if you look in Ephesians, you look in Galatians, when Paul introduces himself, he introduces himself as an apostle. When he begins to write this letter to to the church at Philippi, it's it's one of warmth, it's one of love, it's one of joy, and and he introduces himself in a different way. Not that he was neglecting his servanthood to the other churches, but here he says, church, this is who I am. I'm simply a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word for servant in this passage is, is the word doulos. It's a reference to one whose entire livelihood, to one whose whose purpose in life is determined by their master. So Paul is saying, church, here here am I. I I am simply a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ doing what God has called me to do. 
He's simply emphasizing his submission, his dependence upon the Lord. Now, positionally, all of us as believers are, are to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we begin to look at Paul's life, he didn't just positionally hold the, the, the place of servant. He practically lived it out. In Acts chapter 16, we find the Apostle Paul in Philippi actively serving, actively ministering, actively reaching the people of that city. In fact, we find in Acts 16 that it is in Philippi that Paul led Lydia, the seller of purple, to the Lord. We find it was in Philippi that Paul was thrown into prison for casting a demon out of a young girl. We find that it was at Philippi when, when Paul was cast into prison and, and the Lord miraculously delivered them. That what did he do? It was there and then that he led the Philippian jailer and his family to the, to, to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also find that after Paul had been released from that prison, that Paul went back to the believers there at Philippi and he comforted them. He ministered unto them. He served the believers of Philippi before moving on in his missionary journeys. We don't know all the ways in which Paul served these believers. But you can tell that, that, that he did so on a personal level as well as on a corporate level. He was actively serving these believers and clearly he made a difference in their lives. If you begin to look at what the church at Philippi then did for the Apostle Paul as he continued his missionary journeys, it was obvious that Paul had made, an, had made a difference in their lives. He had had an influence. He had had an impact. And then they, in turn, began to invest in him. Because, again, as we said, when we edify one another, we're going to see that those begin to edify us as well. And that's exactly what transpired. For in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul said this to them. He said, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only... For even in Thessalonica, he sent once and again unto my necessity. And then in verse 18, we find that they sent someone to start to help him as well. He goes, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. These people, they could clearly see that the Apostle Paul was truly a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as he served them, then it was their desire to serve him back and to help him back and to minister to him and have, a, have a part and an influence and an impact on his ongoing ministry. And think about Paul's introduction of himself here. And he says, Paul and Timotheus, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, start, I stopped to just begin to think what was going through the mind of these believers when this letter was first read to them at church? Especially when they got to the part that we view as chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul says, hey church, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being not in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. I can't help but to wonder what was their reaction when Paul is sitting there edifying through this letter, hey church, have the mind of Christ, be a servant. After all the influence and, and the service that Paul gave the church at Philippi, I can't help but, but imagine they sit there and heard that and thought, 
Yeah, that's Paul. He's not telling us to do what he's not already doing. We know him as a servant. I wonder if that could be said of me. I wonder if that could be said of of each of us. That when people look at our lives, they could say, yeah, he's a servant. Yeah, she's a servant. Need help? Need something done? Need someone to step up? You can reach out to her. You can reach out to him. See, Paul wasn't just a servant positionally. He was a servant practically. So the question is, how are you serving? How are you serving the people of of your local church? How are you ministering to this local body of believers? You know, some of the greatest ways that you can minister to someone is just by talking to them. Come in, find your seat, put your stuff down and go find someone to talk to. Find someone to to pray with. Find someone to encourage. Find someone to say, hey, you, you need help with that? Here, let me help you out. Find ways to serve. Paul made a difference by serving. I believe by example, as a servant of Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us need to begin looking for ways that we can make a difference in one another's lives by serving. Secondly, we can make a difference. I'm going to give us two of them here at once. We can make a difference by choosing to give grace and pursue peace. By choosing to give grace and pursue peace. Look at verse number two. Paul Paul gives his typical greeting here. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, grace and peace. This was typical for Paul to, to begin an epistle like this. He would, he, would, he would pray for grace and peace. What is it? It's, it's a combination of both a Greek and a Hebrew expression that Paul used as a Christian greeting. But for Paul, it was more than just a greeting. It was a prayer. It was a prayer for the, of the Apostle Paul on behalf of these believers that they both know and understand and recognize the grace and peace that God is pouring into our lives every single day. His desire was that the church know it. His desire was that the church see it, that they recognize it. Every one of us experience God's grace on a daily basis, but sometimes we fail to see it. What is it? God's grace is his favor that we all need and it's given to us freely and without regard for merit. As believers, we have peace with God and that we're no longer enemies of God. We're now a child of God if we know him as our personal Lord and Savior. But the peace that Paul is praying for here, he's writing to these believers, the peace that he's praying for is peace of mind knowing that God is in control. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you have no handle on and you can't seem to get a grasp of it and you're wondering, God, what's going on? This is the peace that God's trying to offer by saying, hey, take it easy. I've got it under control. This is the peace that Paul was praying for, for these believers. This was the grace that he desired for them. Grace and peace are both blessings from God. And Paul's actively praying that that these believers know and recognize it. 
Is this something we're praying for on behalf of one another here? That, that, that family that's going through that hard time, that, hey, let's pray for them to, to know and see God's grace and experience the peace that he has to offer through it. On a practical level, God often uses us as a vehicle, as a means by which his grace and peace are shown to others. In fact, we're told in scripture that we're to be givers of grace and and pursuers of peace. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You go a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 4 and you look at the command that's given in verse 31 and we find that obedience to that command is what is helping to, it is evidence of the pursuit of peace within relationships in the body of Christ when he says in verse 31 of Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This, this is activity in which is evidence of, of the pursuit of peace, the desire to be at peace with one another. Peace with God. Then in verse 32 of the same chapter, Ephesians 4, we find the means by which we can give grace to others, show grace to others. Ephesians 4, 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. See, choosing to forgive one another is showing grace. It's ministering grace. And this forgiveness is not rooted in merit. It's not rooted in whether or not the individual deserves it. It's rooted simply in the fact that you and I are already recipients of unmerited favor. The grace of God. May our prayer be, and may our actions and our words show that we as a body of believers, as individuals, are givers of grace and pursuers of peace. May our prayer be for one another what Paul prays in verse two, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can make a difference in people's lives when we give grace and pursue peace. Number four, when we give thanks. When we give thanks. Look at verse number three of our text, Philippians chapter one, verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Basically what Paul is telling this church, he's saying, listen, every time someone mentions you, Every time that I am reminded of you or I think of you, believers at Philippi, you, church, I can't help but thank God for you. What an encouragement that must have been to those believers as that letter began to be read and they hear, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Here he is, the Apostle Paul, sitting in a Roman prison at the time of this writing, telling the believers at Philippi how grateful he is for them how they have ministered unto him, how they have come alongside his ministry, helped meet his needs. This 
is genuine gratitude. He was genuinely grateful for the body of believers that God had assembled at Philippi that had a part in his ministry that was making a difference in his life in in some of the most difficult circumstances that he found himself in. What a special relationship that must have been. Realize that from the time that Paul wrote Uh, this letter to them and and the time that he had actually been with them was a period of approximately 10 years. And at this very time, they were about 800 miles apart, but the love that he had for them had not diminished and neither had the love that they had for him. And this was evidenced once again by how they ministered unto him, even sending Epaphroditus with funds for him and, and then his regular prayers of gratitude on their behalf. What a great example for us today. What a great example of of genuine gratitude that Paul had for these believers. Truly it should challenge us to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves a few questions. When's the last time you thank God for those that labor in ministry on your behalf? When's the last time you thank God for your spouse? for fulfilling their God-designed role in marriage? When's the last time you thank God for the fellow believers that you worship with each week? When's the last time you thank God for the nursery workers who who keep the kids? When's the last time you thank God for the AV team who who makes sure that we can be heard and seen and, and that you can hear and see? When's the last time you thank God for the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you? For the privilege of of serving together and worshiping together our great God. The reality of it is this. The Christian life is a life of gratitude. The Christian life is a life of gratitude. You know, about nine years before the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he wrote one to the church at Thessalonica. And in that letter, he said these very words. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I wonder if we could find ourselves defined as grateful people. Christians who are living a life of gratitude. Maybe what we need to do is begin to take some time and regularly start thanking God for all the things that we have been taking for granted. Maybe we need to take some time and thank him for those things that you've been less than thankful for. Thank him for your spouse, for your job, for your church. And then watch. You see, when, when, when people begin to be grateful their life and attitude begins to change. The way they view life, the way they view their their family, their job, their church, their friends, their neighbors, what they've been given by God, it begins to change into, instead of I wish I had to, Lord, I'm so grateful for what I have. So grateful for how you've blessed. Apostle Paul left a great example for us of what it is to be thankful to be thankful for one another, to be thankful for this body of Christ. 
May we make a difference in our lives and in this church by choosing to give thanks. May we also make a difference by choosing to intercede. By choosing to intercede on behalf of this body, on behalf of one another. Look at verse number four in our text, Philippians 1, 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Paul says, when I pray for you, I go before the throne of God on your behalf. I'm interceding before the throne of God for you, church. I'm reaching out and, 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 and going before the throne of God and saying, hey, Lord, be with Yodius and Syntyche, who, who right now there's a little bit of a, a tift between. I'm reaching out and thanking God for Lydia, asking him to bless her, her life and her, her work. I'm, I'm reaching out and thanking the Philippian jailer in the situation in which he's in, that, Lord, you'd continue to bless his life. And he's beginning, I believe, just to get specific and go before the throne of God on behalf of, his, of this church. Even from prison, Paul was going to the throne of God on behalf of them. And I think it's interesting to note that, that Paul wasn't excluding anyone from that either. Look again at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. E even, even the ones who he had to address in the letter. Yodius and Syntyche. How, how is it that, that Paul could come to this point and say, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy? I think it's because what was transpiring and what we saw in verses 1, 2, and 3 were already an active part of his life. You see, it's, it's easier to pray for someone when you've thanked God for them. It's easier to pray for someone that, that you have shown grace to. It's easier to pray for someone that you have pursued peace with. It's easier to pray for someone that you are serving, both with and serving. Then Paul said this. He said, as he went before the throne of God on, on their behalf, interceding, that he did so with joy. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. His memories of what they had done for him, his memories of the time they had spent serving together in Philippi, brought him a joy that permeated his prayers. Have you ever served in, 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 a, in a special event through the church? And, you get done with it, the event's over, and you just get back and you're so excited about what God did. About how God worked and, and the lives that were touched and, and the souls that were saved. You can't, you can't wait but to go home with joy and tell others about what God had done. You see, when we begin to, to, to serve with one another, we begin to serve one another, we, we pursue grace and, and peace and and we give thanks to them, then, it, then it's natural, it's a natural outpouring of our heart to, to have joy as we intercede on behalf of, of the person that just got saved. Of the person who just experienced a new life in their family. We can 
go before the throne of God with joy. It's interesting to note that joy is what is expressed in, in his prayers for the church at Philippi because if you look at what Paul endured in Philippi and what he went through, it wasn't that, that he had the greatest of times in Philippi. No, it was at Philippi that he was scourged. It was at Philippi that he was thrown into the prison. But it wasn't those things. It wasn't the maltreatment that, that Paul experienced there that, that it was at the forefront of his mind. No, it was what God had done through him and in him through that local body of believers. And joy was the expression of his heart. For him, this joy was rooted in his gratitude. Matthew Henry said this, and refers to this kind of joy that, that Paul had as, as holy joy. He said, and I quote, as holy joy is the heart and soul of thankful praise, so thankful praise is the lip and language of holy joy. Think about it like this. Gratitude and joy in prayer brings life and excitement to your prayers. Have you ever sat there and thought, well, my, my prayer life seems kind of flat. It seems kind of dull. Start by thanking God for some things. Christ gives us the pattern. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Remember who God is. Thank him for who he is and what he's done. Start thanking him for how God has worked in your life. Start thanking him for, for your family, for your job, for your church. Start getting in this attitude of gratitude and joy will be the natural expression and outpouring of your heart. And it will be noticed both before the Lord and before others as they see the countenance that begins to change. When this attitude of gratitude comes, then, then the command of, of Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 seems more attainable. It's more within reach when Paul reminded these believers to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If you want to make a difference in the lives of your church family, start interceding on behalf of one another. Start praying for one another. Pick up one of the prayer lists in the lobby. Start praying for it. Start praying through each of those. Follow up with them. Hey, I've been praying for you. How's this going? Make a difference by interceding. We can also make a difference through fellowship. We can make a difference by choosing to fellowship. Look at verse five. Paul says, once again, all the way back in verse three, I thank my God, and then verse four, verse five, excuse me, for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now. We, we see the word fellowship here. It's the word koinonia. It can also be, be understood as communion. Now the, the full sense of the word fellowship is this. It is the act of sharing in the activities. And the privileges of an intimate association or group. You find the word often used in relation to a church or to a marriage. So, so fellowship is, some, is, is something that transpires when you're, you're sharing in and participating in the work of a close-knit group, a close-knit body of believers. So, so what is fellowship? Well, for the Christian, it's more, than just, it's more than just having a conversation over a cup of coffee. 
It's more than just enjoying some time together fun, maybe, maybe out on the golf course. True Christian fellowship is more than just having your name on the roll at the church. It's, it's more than just being present for the services. Well, neither of those are wrong. In fact, many of those lead to great opportunities for good Christian fellowship. That in and of itself is not where fellowship stops. Biblical Christian fellowship is participating in the work of the church and sharing in the privileges of the church. In other words, for fellowship, it's not just hanging out with people. It's not just talking. It's not just playing games. It's not just eating food. Yeah, that's part of it. And and that leads to some great opportunities for ministering to one another and fellowshipping one another beyond just just the surface level. That's that's what we can refer to as the sharing and the privileges of a group of like-minded believers. But fellowship is also this. It's participating in the work of the gospel. Look at what he says again in our text. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Based on the definition that we've kind of laid out here of biblical fellowship, we can conclude this. If we're not giving of our time and resources for the furtherance of the gospel through the local church, we won't know what true biblical fellowship is. True biblical fellowship is much more than receiving. It's giving. It's being willing to sacrifice your time and your resources to work together for a cause bigger than yourself. Again, we said this at the beginning, that the Christian life is not a life of isolation, but of investment in one another. There is some work, there is some participation taking place in the work of the gospel. That's fellowship. I remember again as a child the opportunities to serve at our church. The amount of fun I had as a kid at church working I mean, I had a great time. I, I remember doing that than just about anything else. Because, because I had fun. It was great. It was, I, I laughed with people. I got to know people. And, and we had some great fellowship while we were doing what? Serving together for the cause of the gospel. For the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you want to know what true fellowship is, don't sit back and be a consumer. Be a participant in the work of the gospel. And finally, number seven, we can make a difference in our church family by choosing to encourage. By choosing to encourage. Look at verse verse number six. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul uses the word confidence. It's it's to fully trust and to be fully persuaded of this truth. He's saying, I have complete trust, complete confidence that God is at work in your life, church. I have complete confidence that God is at work in the lives of each individual within this body of believers. And, And at the very moment of salvation, we know that God began the work of sanctification And we know that he's going to continue that work of sanctification in our lives until which time he he takes us home. So church, let's be encouraging one another. 
You may not know the difficulties or the trials or the tribulations that each person in here is going through, but we do know this. We don't know that God is, is working and he's allowing everything that is coming through our lives to be for our good and for his glory. Church, you may see a, a family member here within our body that is hurting. Be that encouragement to them. Listen, I don't, I don't, I don't understand, but I do know this. God is using this for your good and for his glory. We don't know all the difficulties that this church was experiencing. But Paul was encouraging them, saying, hey, God's at work. Trust in him. Take some time to share that word of confidence. Remind people that you're praying for them. Remind them that nothing catches God by surprise. Remind them that we can rest in the promises of God. Remember that the Christian life is not a life of isolation. It's a life of investment in one another. May we as a church, may we as individuals, May we make a difference in the lives of our church family by choosing to serve, by giving grace, by pursuing peace, by giving thanks, by interceding for one another, by fellowshipping together in the work of the gospel and encouraging one another in the Lord. I close with this question. Are you making a difference? Paul did. Let's take this list. And let's begin to act these out in our own lives within this body of Christ. And let's make a difference this year.